Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Best Phone Plans podcast. Joining us today, we have special guest Roger Etner. Roger is the founder of Recon Analytics and has built a reputation as one of the most respected telecom experts. He brings with him a wealth of knowledge and industry expertise, and we're so excited to have him here today. Roger, how are you doing today? I'm great, and thank you for having me. Awesome, awesome. Um, well, with your prowess and in, in industry knowledge, what Dennis and I kind of wanted to talk to you about is the different carrier strategies in for Verizon, AT&T, and T-Mobile. You know, in the past, we've seen the carriers diversifying their product stack um, and revenue, such as AT&T acquiring DirecTV, HBO. Um, but with 5G, we're seeing a new emphasis on wireless. Um, I'm wondering if you can comment on what the future strategies are of these carriers as they continue to grow and how they may differ from each other. Well, one of the things you always have to look at is whenever we get a new G, a new generation, the competitive may strengths and weaknesses of the previous generation doesn't don't necessarily carry over, right? So, for example, when we look at T-Mobile, T-Mobile used to be the runt of the litter, right? Uh, when uh, John Ledger took over, the company was number four, struggling. He he re he rejigged the company and I think he gets a lot of credit for the marketing mm -hmm. part, the positioning part. He doesn't get enough credit for uh, how much he improved the operational excellence of the company because it's now executing on par if not better than, than their competitors. So traditionally they were budget prices for a budget experience right yeah that's that's how i remember them and now they have uh, a lot of spectrum and spectrum means speed it makes life a lot of easier spectrum is the oxygen the fuel on which wireless carrier operates and they currently on an oxygen high right <laughs> and now they want to provide a premium experience for a budget price. And that's a winning proposition, right? So the question is, how long will this continue? So when they talked about it in their analyst day, right? They were like, oh, we're going to keep winning for, uh, for the entire 5G area. Right, right. Well, if history tells us everything, anything, then that's not going to happen. <laughs> because in the beginning, whoever has a lead has a lead for two and three years, and then the others catch up, right? And they just spend more money or catch up. T-Mobile caught up, right? And in a much meeker position. And towards the end of the 4G era, they basically had network parity in the big cities. And they had, with the acquisition of Sprint, more than 50, sometimes 60% market share. Amazing stuff, right? Uh, but everybody cooks with water, right? So it's almost inevitable that the advantage, the first mover advantage that T-Mobile has right now will be eroded. So then we have T-Mobile, uh, then we have AT&T, for example. And by the way, how they get there is basically everybody is suffering from, from Google and Facebook envy. You know, <laughs> yeah. uh, we built these networks, spent billions and billions of dollars, and these young kids make billions of dollars in, in Silicon Valley based on our how it work. That's really unfair. Let's do, let's make changes and change things. AT&T looked at it and said like, what are people doing on our networks? 
oh, they're watching videos. Why are we not buying a company that sells videos? The biggest one around, DirecTV. Well, they didn't realize at the time, or maybe they didn't want to realize, that the content distributors are being squeezed to death by the content owners. So all these price increases you see every year from cable companies, from the satellite companies, is not because they are greedy, but because the content owners are jacking up the price all the time. I see, I see. And everybody hates the guy who delivers them the bill, right? <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, whereas it's actually handing through. And you're seeing that that if you're building now a, a bundle of streaming services, it's as expensive as a cable bundle, right? <laughs> yeah. We've gone in a full circle. It's backwards now again. Because the cable, because the content owners, you know, you know, a leopard doesn't change his spots, you know. And that's why then AT&T bought a content uh, uh, maker, right? And, and the biggest one available was Time Warner. So that's how they got into the content game. I see. Um, and they were trying to sell a, a premium experience on a premium network. And... Uh, that's why they have now the fastest network, you know, until T-Mobile might pull away. Right, right. But at least they can say, we have the fastest network. And the start stuff stakes breaking. If you position yourself as the premium provider on a budget experience, Right. And when you look at it, at, at what's happening with AT&T right now, um, they have a lot of discounts on, on, dev on devices, right? And uh, they're giving you more content, all of these stuff. So the positioning becomes less premium, so which is have... not a bad thing. It becomes a better value. Right. The, the and, perception to consumers is they're able to get a better deal on their devices, and because they're getting all these discounts, somehow it just feels less premium, even though the service is really the same. Exactly, but but you you have a better um, value for money experience, and also during their investor day, they talked about we want to grow subscribers. You can only do that with a better value proposition. Um, so, so with the carriers, <clears throat> with the carriers trying to become a better value option on their plans on the postpaid side, where do flanker brands and MBNOs come in in this strategy? Because traditionally they've been the one, they've been the target demographic for those um, value oriented customers. So where do MBNOs and flanker companies come in for the carriers and their strategy? Well, they're struggling, right? When you look at, at traditionally, when you see what happened in the last recession, we lost postpaid subscribers for, for several years. And prepaid really took off. Now with the massive stimulus uh, funding, we don't see that at all. Actually, postpaid goes up further and further, and prepaid is holding the steady or going down. So the, so the flanker brands are somehow left out in the cold. And we'll talk about it with Verizon, because they were probably looking at it and said, like, in 2008, prepaid really, really took off. And we have no prepaid brand because... We're the premium company, right? We're, and I don't want to have these budget people. They only drive my ARPU down. Right. And then they're like, well, Carlos Slim, who owns a track phone, uh, is sick and tired of the US. He wants out. Let's buy it. 
and then the market doesn't take off, right? Right. Yikes. So uh, the story that they will tell is, look, we can sell it now at a higher margin. The problem is TrackPhone has only about between 5 and 15% margin, depending on, on when you look at them. That's not a dramatic lift for for a premium brand. Sure. And when you look at visible, I have friends in in Denver, and they all talk about how how visible is there, how many events there are, all of these things. But I'm sorry, outside Denver, it's invisible. <laughs> <laughs> So you don't you don't think people are signing up for it outside of Denver? Look at the numbers. The prepaid numbers for for, for Verizon are going down or, or the same, and that's with uh, Visible offering a twenty five dollar plan uh, where you find up to ten people on the road, right? say hey want to have unlimited wireless for for for, for 25 bucks and we do separate billing we don't even have to talk to each yeah, other yeah and the numbers still don't take off wow you know a a challenge a challenger brand means like you're trying but you're not successful sure. right that's a challenger winners are the ones who are successful i find it interesting though because at least with certain segments, like, for example, the cable operators like Comcast or Spectrum, they've been seeing a lot of growth um, on their cell phone side of the business. Mm -hmm. um, and there's only one way that they're getting it in the saturated market. It means they're stealing customers from postpaid. Mm -hmm. um, but you're telling me that overall prepaid hasn't been growing at all. Nope. Huh. Prepaid has gone down. Wow. Is So as part of the Verizon track phone acquisition because Verizon owns the underlying network that many of these track phone brands were using, are they able to improve their margins or is it still just by maybe 10%? Okay. Okay. Because track phones, uh, a profit margin is about 10%. Oh, and so Verizon was making a profit on that. And so when you stack those two together, yeah. it's maybe 20%. Maybe no, that's it. Ten percent. Yeah, yeah. There's ten percent that TrackPhone can give now to, uh, to Verizon. Okay. And it's so small compared to the rest of the company. Overall margins will maybe go up a percentage or two, somewhere in the noise area. So it's almost nominal. It's a, probably a disappointing investment in retrospect for Verizon. Yeah, I don't know if they would do it if if they would have uh, the time to do a do over right now. Yeah, yeah. Right. Well, have the other carriers like T-Mobile and AT&T approached the MVNO market differently? How have MVNOs played a role in, in their network strategies? Well, traditionally, MVNOs were used to attack a market that you don't want to or cannot serve profitably. And there was a time where everybody wanted to be an MVNO. And I thought, the carriers are stupid idiots. These guys don't know how to do marketing and these things. And we just have to show up and we'll steal them blind. And that's from really small guys to Disney, all the way up. Uh, there was Disney Mobile, ESPN Mobile. You know, there's a whole graveyard of <laughs> of ESPNs and and of of MVNOs, because it's a really really difficult business model. Um, the moment you see an MVNO doing television advertising, you know they're losing money. Oh. What, that's that actually sounds backwards to me. Why would that be the case? Because it's too expensive. Your margins are way too thin, and television advertising is very expensive. Are do the television ads in some way pan out? Like they're hoping they'll get enough customers to to profit off of that, or is it just you know they're throwing money away and hoping for the best? Historically, it has never worked. The guy, 
the only MVNO who has made money and consistently made money and has grown was TrackPhone. They only did advertising for uh, Straight Talk once they hit like 10, 15 million customers, 10 million customers or so, right? Wow. That's so interesting because I know Mint Mobile, I remember seeing their Super Bowl ads, they're all over the place. And whenever you look at them, you feel like they're doing so well, but no. you're telling me that it probably means they're actually running out of money. That's scary. Well, um, <laughs> Ryan Reynolds has a lot of money and he's <laughs> going to use that. And so have others before and it never ended well. Whereas uh, TrackPhone and the guy who who really drove a crack, a drag for, uh, to growth, FJ Polak, wonderful, wonderful man, sharp and the quietest guy in the room. And you underestimated it, but sharp as a whip, focus on on the fundamentals, and 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 keeping costs low. So they went to the bodegas, they sold at Walmart, but the advertising was billboards, right? It was it was not ego driven. There was no. No FJ in a in a TV commercial met with with somebody from a Star Wars persiflage, right? Uh, so prepaid and especially MVNO margins are razor thin. Your advertising has to be organic, very low cost. TV is the anathema of it, right? Wow. Yeah. So it sounds like they're, yeah, they're just throwing money away and the, the margins are so slim. I'll just cross off my idea to start my own MVNO right now and uh, <laughs> kill well, that bird before it uh, takes off. Uh, do an accounting degree. Okay. okay. <laughs> you know, because when you look at it, track phone, you know, it's, it's run by Mexican accountants, basically. And they're really being counters. And that's the only way to win in prepaid. And especially as MVNO. So, Roger, um, as we've been talking, it, it sounds like postpaid isn't necessarily doing too great because you're telling me ARPU's coming down. Sounds like MVNOs and the prepaid market is shrinking, which is the opposite of what all these companies want. What do they need to do to drive growth so that people like Verizon can get their return on investment because they're spending billions on this 5G network? And what do the MVNOs have to do to survive? All right. So all of these companies, like the, the network operators, they're doing well, okay? Show me an industry with 45 to 55% gross profit margin, and I'll show you a, a healthy industry, right? And they're often being derided as, as a dumb pipe. If you make 55% margin on being a dumb pipe, I'll be a dumb, dumb pipe, right? <laughs> uh, and and keep keep your scorn with your 10% stuff. But the networks are getting much, much, much smarter. The investment in the networks, they have to invest anyway. It's not like if there wouldn't be 5G, they couldn't invest. Because wireless usage goes up and the margins here are still very high. So, um, how do you build your niches? And that gets us, for example, to Verizon. Uh, Verizon basically is trying to get more money from the same customers that they have and get them from more basic plans to more premium plans. And they're throwing in Disney Plus, ESPN Plus, and all of that stuff. And with that, they can they get customers to pay $10 more. They throw in a little bit more data. They probably pay $4 or so for Disney Plus that you pay six or $7 for it. But Disney will raise prices, you know? <laughs> they did that already. Yes, you're right. Do you think that uh, they're cutting 
Verizon a, a, a deal and not raise prices on Verizon? No, no. why would they do that? Neither do I. <laughs> <laughs> and for example, you see that T-Mobile, right? Uh, they did this promotion immediately, family plan, Netflix on an us, right? Yep. If you're a T-Mobile customer, you realize that it was T-Mobile plan on us plus a dollar from you when they raise prices. Now it's Disney, uh, Netflix on us and two bucks from you. <laughs> In a couple of years, it will be Netflix, let's go Dutch, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because they can't hand down the, 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 the price increases. Because in the wireless industry, prices are staying stable or go down, go down. Right, right. And consumers don't stand for price increases. Yeah, it's it's almost impossible to have a price increase in the wireless space. You know, people yeah. either feel like they should be locked into their yeah. their plan, or they'll switch to something else if that happens. Yeah, yeah. Let me tell you how economists call that. But I'll I'll start with a joke. Um, what do you get when an economy is, becomes a mafia don? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. An offer you can't and can't understand. <laughs> right. Well, that that sounds accurate. Yeah. And so, what the wireless industry is is a non-collusionary oligopoly with a kinked demand curve. Okay. Exactly. What the heck is that? <laughs> yeah, can you unpack that a little so bit for us? Non-collusionary means they don't agree they don't agree on prices in smoky back rooms, right? Okay. Oligopoly means there's only a limited number of them. And a king demand curve means prices can go, stand the same or go down, but never up because when the prices go up, the non-collusionary thing comes in and people switch to the lower offer, right? And we see that all the time. So it's actually a very competitive market. Sure, sure. And actually. that brings us to uh, to Verizon, right? The reason why they invested so much money in the C-band spectrum is they can't afford to be the slowest. And before the C-band auction, they had the least amount of spectrum, which means they probably would end up at the slowest. And being the premium provider on the worst network, not going to work out. Not a not a good value proposition. Not for, a good value proposition. Customers. Yeah. So with such a, a saturated market, you know, we had Peter on last week, and he was saying that device saturation is at like 130% or something where people have smartphones and the same people have tablets or smart wearable devices. What are these major carriers doing to try and win customers from the other providers? Well, either better deal or better experience, right? And oh. you're looking forward to 5G making a major impact. And so, um, we talked about network slicing, right? I wrote a paper about it. It's on my website. It's actually Recon linked that. in the uh, video description as ah, well for awesome. anyone curious. So if it goes, if it's a little bit too technical, let me know. Um, so basically, one of the things we see in the wireless industry is traditionally the wireless industry was like your your kitchen, right? Um, Every network element was like your your toaster, your um, your microwave. It had hardware and software combined with each other, and it didn't work anywhere else. Now what's happening is it all turns into software-defined networking, meaning the wireless networks are becoming like a big computer and they run different software on it. And the software that, you know, there's a software for being the toaster, software for being the, the microwave. But here the elements are messaging, voice, data, uh, all of these things. 
but when you turn it into software, you suddenly can allocate dedicated resources to it. And that way you can guarantee performance. And you can specialize parts of the network for specialized purposes and applications. So for example, uh, you have a customer who runs a lot of video that need and high high quality video that needs a lot of resources on the radio access network because say 4k video uses 25 megabits per second but it doesn't need that much on the back end so you allocate a lot of radio network as uh, assets to it but not a lot of computing the other customer say isn't an online game, right? Online games, contrary to what everybody talks about, don't use a lot of spectrum and, and a lot of data. You can run a game on less than a megabit per second. It's just latency dependence. So you don't need a lot of things over the radio, but you might want to run it on it needs a lot of computing because every bullet that flies needs to be computed and all of that stuff so you put a lot of compute resources behind it and now you can do this very very eff effectively and efficiently or uh, you know you don't run the networks anymore like you have a grocery stain a chain Every payment goes to a centralized application. Somebody breaks in, 50 million people lose their ident identity and their credit card information and all of that stuff. Now imagine you break that down in a more regional approach on wireless and suddenly that big data heist it turns into data pickpocketing because only a thousand people are impacted, not 25 million people. Sure. So these are all the things that will be possible with, with network slicing. Yeah. Dennis, um, I think you had a question about this. It was really good. Not about the network slicing. If you do go ahead, I had actually yeah. something a little. Oh sure. yeah. Well, I guess my question is how are the carriers dividing the resources? Is it percentage based? Like a, this percent of the network goes to this task and this percent to something else, or is it more uh, you can block it off? Like for video streaming, blocking off a 10 megahertz chunk just for that specific use case, or is it something different? Right now, it's not happening because <laughs> okay. you need a standalone 5G core. Okay. The only carrier in the world who has a 5G standalone core is T-Mobile, and T-Mobile hasn't activated that feature yet. <laughs> so all of that network slicing stay tuned okay right? we'll we'll keep our eyes out what's uh what's your estimated timeline for that like when do you think we'll start seeing that being deployed two years okay right, uh, right now the 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 um, the holdover is basically build private networks but then every company every application builds their own little network and that's not very scalable mm, yeah 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 so, uh, Roger, what I wanted to ask was, is um, <clears throat> how, so you mentioned earlier, like the carriers are like an oligopoly, okay? So there's three mm -hmm. of them. They're not colluding, but they're also not trying, they don't really want to lower prices, right? I know you said the profit margin was 50% or better, but if I'm a company, especially if I'm trying to please shareholders, I want my profit margin to be higher, not getting reduced any time here. And if and as Stetson pointed out, the market's saturated as far as mobile cell phones are concerned. So what are the carriers gonna do to either Lower differentiate cost. themselves so that they can get more growth? Um, or how are they going to increase their revenue in other ways? Like what can they do from here? Like what is what is five G letting them do in the future that they couldn't have done with LTE, basically? Lower cost. So for example, uh, using 5G to deliver a bit to you costs one-tenth of what it costs under 4G. 
wow why why is that is that because of the the network core the change in architecture or that comes next simply because you have fatter pipe more efficient way to deliver the cost per bit goes down dramatically now when you look at uh, if you look at AT&T over the last five six years AT&T was the first one who switched to software-defined networking. The entire increase in profitability of AT&T came through the switch to software-defined networking. Wow. The entire increase. That's insane. Because, because you need a lot less people. So, for example, uh, AT&T has about 100,000 people employed in their uh, network group, right? Uh, and they're working on on uh, virtualizing all of that, having done a lot of progress. Somebody like Rakuten in Japan, they run a, a carrier. They have 200 people running <laughs> the network. Yeah, I think you had a another recent article about Rakuten service. They're actually selling it to yes. other carriers, right? Yeah. So if 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 the carrier becomes a lot more efficient by making that network uh, fully virtualized, you know, one guy in headquarters can press a button, and every cell sites get reprogrammed. Right now, somebody has to walk out to every cell site, all 50,000, 70,000, 85,000 of them, and make the change manually. Yeah. Wow. Understood. And Roger, someone that we haven't been talking about yet is Dish. Where does mm -hmm. Dish fit in in all of this? Because I'm curious to know how they're going to either shake up the market and if they, ha if they might even have an advantage since they get to start out with you know, not having to replace all this legacy tech. Well, they have an advantage and a disadvantage, right? The, the advantage and disadvantage is they start from zero, right? Uh, so they will build a, a more efficient network, but the network is only part of it. Uh, marketing, stores, all of that is ridiculously expensive. The same problem that MVNO said with television advertising and all of that stuff is also the problem that, uh, that Dish will have. And so we talked about the cable companies, right? Right. Uh, I don't know. Are you a ca cable company customer? Uh, yes, because uh, Comcast has monopoly on my apartment. Okay. So when you watch Comcast, there's advertising for Comcast Mobile, Xfinity Mobile, right? right. You know how much Comcast pays for the, these ads? Zero. Zero. Because it's unused inventory. So for them, it's very, very efficient. So uh, Dish will, you, will do the same thing for Dish satellite subscribers and probably bundle the heck out of it. <laughs> but they need a lot more customer. And so it's very, very expensive to uh, get these customers. Typically, you can say it takes about a year before a customer becomes profitable. Wow. And then the question be becomes, how quickly can Dish grow? especially as its um, satellite customer base comes down. The faster the satellite customer base comes down, the slower, the less money they have, they can pour into, uh, into mobile. But that's exactly why Charlie got into, into wireless, right? He, he experienced the content owner squeezing him to death, you know? <laughs> He saw that people started hating linear television, and you can draw a line when his subscriber base and the satellites will hit the ground, right? Right. And he right. said, like, 
you know, this this horse will not ride anymore at one point in time. All right? Well, I need another horse. Well, and that's when he started uh, in investing in in Spectrum. And look back how long that was. He was very visionary with that. He saw that earlier than anybody else, right? Well, with um, with how quickly we're seeing a decline in uh, live television subscribers, why is Dish feels like it's so slow to move? I mean, uh, today marks uh, a year now since the merger uh, actually it's not took. Slow. It takes it's it's such a massive undertaking. They're not slow at all. Do we know what they're doing? Are like they building sites or yeah, like we haven't heard sites, anything. They're putting that all all together. It takes about two years to get started. Okay, okay, interesting, interesting. And out of curiosity, with all of the you know the TV ads and the sponsorships that we see all the big carriers doing, like what is their average cost to acquire a customer? All thrown in. Sure, yeah. Three hundred ish dollars. Wow. That's crazy. Right. That I think yeah, that, that kinda puts it in perspective. I think we had um Ahmed Katak from US Mobile on there in M V and O and he was saying they don't really do advertising. I you know, I doubt too many people have heard of them outside of my channel. <laughs> and uh <laughs> I think their cost is like thirty to sixty dollars, I wanna say, per customer or something like that. Yeah, the thirty to sixty dollars is the thirty dollars is probably their service activation cost, and sixty dollars. There are some costs to get somebody to uh, to sign them up. That's the commission, right? And then you layer on top of that uh, advertising, and you layer on top of that handset sub subsidies. Ah, because there are still handset subsidies. Yeah, with the like the trade-in deal, we had Verizon launch their trade-in your crack device, and you'll get up to a thousand dollars off. Like they're yeah, they're exactly. taking the L. Um, so, you know, as I guess Dish is building out their network, and we'll we'll see them appear in maybe a year from today, maybe a year and a half, depending on on their rate and how long it goes. Um, what you know, what are the factors that are going to cause customers to leave their existing carrier? Like, are they going to like, is the coverage going to be bad or, or the speed's going to be slow? Likely not with 5G, but like, what, what would the factors be that would cause someone to, you know, look at their Verizon plan and then look at Dish and, and think about potentially switching? Lower price. That's right? is, is price the number one factor? Like, is that it's all people? always interesting? In every industry, it's price, quality, service in this order, right? You always want to have a better deal, right? Yep. Um, quality with quality being the same. The moment you're not happy with the quality, you're looking a better deal. And service only comes in when the company messed up, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. And then that keeps you in the company or not, right? And if they're bozos, you said like, screw this, I'm leaving. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> no, that sounds a hundred percent accurate. With um. Right. You know, Dennis shared his story earlier in, in one of our episodes. He walked into, I think, Dennis, it was a Verizon store, right? And they just... Well, I've, I've had stories with all three carriers at this point. Verizon, when I was... So when I was younger, I was signing up. For, I was looking to sign up for a cell phone service for myself. Verizon treated me poorly because I was a young buck and they thought I was probably broke. So I just went over to T-Mobile and got set up with them, which I've been with them now for six and some change years. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> but... uh. Then I went and updated my plan with T-Mobile, and that was a, a separate episode. And um, if their uh, if their customer service wasn't so good, you are right, Roger. Uh, I would leave them because um, I had a pretty bad customer experience. But thankfully, uh, one of our awesome fans on the show worked for T-Mobile and helped me to get the information I needed to get strained out. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. All right, we have another round of questions would be related to the the new service bundles these carriers are throwing in. You're now getting Disney Plus, Hulu, ESPN Plus. You're getting the Netflix on us, even if it's now one dollar, two dollars, or four dollars extra. Um, what what is the strategy behind integrating these services? Is it boosting profits for these carriers? Yeah. Is it how are they making more money off of that? Well, it, 
take Verizon, right? If you're on a metered plan and you upgrade to the top premium plan, that's $20 more a month. And they pay three or four, maybe five for the for the Disney Plus. So that's 15 bucks for them. The marginal cost of a megabyte is extremely low, right? Wireless is an industry with a very high fixed cost because you need to build that network and very low, very low variable cost. Um, and only when you hit uh, penetrate or, or when, when you hit capacity, you need to split a cell side, uh, you need more spectrum, all of these things. But overall, if you're using a megabyte more or less, doesn't cost really anything more or less. If but, if data, so since data costs are so low, why do we typically see all, well, all of the carriers put some arbitrary limitations in on their plans? Like no, no premium carrier, for example, is just doing straight up unlimited data, use it how you want with unlimited hotspot, right? No one's doing that right now. Yeah. And, and why are they not doing that? Because to me, like if I was, if I was, if I was a carrier, I'm like, huh, Unlimited hospital, unlimited data. I'll charge a hundred bucks for this plan, which is even more than everybody else. That would be an easy way to make money, and I'm sure they'd get some premium customers to switch just because of it. Because some idiot is going to run their web server on it. They've done this, okay? Uh, there is a small number that will abuse this and ruin it for everybody. They will use. You know, your neighbor will, will run then their web ser server on it and ruin the experience for everybody in that cell. Right. And so in in a square mile or two square miles, nobody else have, can, can have service because it's a shared resource. Or I know of somebody, there, there was unlimited texting, right? Mm -hmm. Somebody... Uh, signed then up for uh, text message text message text messaging alerts for horse racing. Okay. For every horse race on the planet, that is thousands of text messages a minute. Whoa. That's why they put a limit there. <laughs> Because somebody will find a way to break it like but, and affect everybody else. Couldn't you very easily, though, either block off ports that are needed to run a server or just do some form of like packet snipping no. to ensure that it's not being a... Well, that's what they're doing. They give you 50 gigabyte, uh, gigabytes of usage, right? What are you going to do with 50 gigs? Well, 50 gigs is an actual like hard limit. I meant like... Couldn't I, as the carrier, just look at and see, like, okay, you know, like, this IP address is obviously Google. This IP address is obviously X, Y, and Z. And, you know, I know that you need port 545 to host a uh, Microsoft, like, whatever server, right? And I see but if you can switch, you can change the server. The, you, can serve the, you can change the port. You would need a, an army of, detect, to, to, uh, of the detectives to find a bunch of idiots. That try to build the things uh, to, to break the system. You rather say, "Here's the usage that that takes care of 95% percent of the people," right? And then also, but like also, I mean, with 5G, like the promise of 5G is, I know nothing's unlimited, but. 5G is promising basically so much capacity that it can handle anything, right? I mean, they're talking, mm -hmm. you know, Verizon shows their whole hospital surgery things. You know, they're talking about home internet replacing with 5G. Yeah. I mean, if they really wanted to be a home internet replacement, like some of them are talking about, mm -hmm. isn't having to deal with that kind of network usage par for the course, right? Like, like Comcast, right? Cable internet, right? It's a shared resource okay. too. I know it's obviously much more capacity because of the docs is standard, but... Comcast couldn't just come in and tell me, like, you're using your 400 megabit internet wrong, right? Uh -huh. I mean, uh, it's kind of funny, right? Like, <laughs> No. So one strand of fiber has more capacity than the entire uh, electromagnetic spectrum, okay? So 
for some of our customers, we did some uh, analysis, right? And so, for example, where was it? Uh, oh. It's great. We're getting a, a real inside scoop from uh, like real studies that were done. Where was it? I'm, I'm looking for it. Ah, here. So, for example, uh, if you have 10 megahertz in mid-band, right? Each cell can provide 10, gig 10 gigabytes of data per hour, right? But that is shared with everybody in that cell, right? So how many people do you need? How many people do you want, right? And so, for example, when you do the math, you realize that Verizon can't do, even with the 100 megahertz of C-band spect spectrum that they have, in an urban area, they, can, they, ca they cannot do broadband to the home with wireless uh, just using C-band spectrum. It's not enough spectrum. Or you can serve only 10 people. Congratulations. That's not a scalable business model. Sure, sure. But the moment you put 400 in millimeter wave around, or 800 or 1,000 what they have, suddenly that works, right? But millimeter wave, that signal goes 200 yards, <laughs> right? Not a scalable model again. Well, I mean, putting up a millimeter wave site, I think... I think it was Sneed told us it was only like maybe like 18,000 per millimeter wave site or something around okay. that range, which okay. is not that expensive. And it's still cheaper than like what a cable many, operator has to do okay. as far as laying like fiber down, right? Well, you, you still need fiber, but $18,000 divided by how much do you want to pay per month? 50 bucks, right? Somewhere yeah. in the realm of like 60, 75. Uh, Hold on, let me do the math. 18,000 divided by 75. That is 240 customer month, months. Before yeah. you pay for the T1, uh, for, for the fiber and all of that stuff. Yeah, that's before you even start making money off of yes. that investment. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So you about... need one customer or, or 10 customers need to be there for two years just to pay for that cheap $18,000 site. And then right. as you multiply the number of sites you need to serve an area properly, it just yeah. keeps going up. So 5G makes everybody everything easier, but it's still not an unlimited resource world. So in 5G, your data limit will go down by a factor of 10. You get 500 gigs instead of 50, right? Sure. Or that's roughly what they think. Right now, AT&T said that their average fiber customer is at 300 gigs a month. Charter said publicly, both publicly, uh, said it's between 600 and 700 gigabytes per month. I don't know what the people do with 700 gigabytes a month, but not my problem. Right? Sure, sure. Actually, um, it's making me of... feel bad. <laughs> I use over a terabit a month. <laughs> yeah, but how how do you come up with a terab uh, terabyte per month? Easily. I mean, one Steam or okay, I had to re-download Call of Duty Cold War because okay. I the thing that they did for the update broke is I had to re-download the files. That one game download was like 180 gigs, just yeah, like that. Okay. <laughs> so, where did the other 900 go? <laughs> Uh, well, 180. So that's that's basically a, that was basically 200. Um, I mean the yeah. podcast. I mean the podcast. We probably use probably maybe 30 to 40 gigabytes. Um, probably no. just uploading the podcast and doing the pot. No. No. Stetson, how how big is a YouTube file to upload generally? Um, like two to three. Well, okay, gigs so per to put it in perspective, when I download this after the show, it'll be probably 500 megabytes max. 500 megabytes yeah. max. It's not that much. It's at 720p. 
True. So I feel like Dennis, your your higher use is probably just the games, keeping your game library yeah. updated but, and, and those. But, but it's the games that you're downloading that's driving it, not the gaming. No, yeah, no, 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 yeah. I know it's not the gaming. Gaming itself online uses very little data, but it's the files. But yeah, it's the files that they they are killing you, because if you look at it, video standard video is one megabit per second. Yeah, but no one uh, watches HD standard. is five. And 4K is 25. That's me. 4K Netflix <laughs> and HBO Max with yeah. Adol Adobe Atmos. That's me. <laughs> That's when you're getting them, right? <laughs> By the way, uh, if you want to know what you use on your computer, Glasswire is awesome. Glasswire.com. We'll check it out. Thank yeah. you for that tip. Uh, this kind of brought up a similar point that I was wondering about. Uh, related to priority data. You know, a lot of carriers are promoting their priority data. They're reserving it for their top paying postpaid customers. My question is, how much of a difference does having priority data make to average consumers? Like, uh, would they notice being uh, prioritized versus deprioritized? What's your take on that? Most of the time, no. Uh, I think prioritization comes in 5% of the time something like that sure and you have to like... be at busy hour in a congested site that's it yeah okay um, yeah you know. that makes sense that makes sense i'll um, take it but i wouldn't pay a premium for it i see i see that makes sense yeah so it, that really would kind of go back to the subscription services that are really driving the the customers to upgrade to want to get that extra plan yeah I, that makes a whole lot of sense. Yeah, it, it, it's something that doesn't cost you much as a carrier, and it sounds really good. Oh, you prioritize <laughs> data. Yeah. Who, who says no to that, right? Right, right. Um, so, Roger, I just thought of a good question for you. You know, when we were talking about that example from earlier, you mentioned that there is going to be a need for millimeter way to be deployed in certain places, right? Mm -hmm. But it sounds like from what we've been hearing from the public is that T-Mobile doesn't really have an interest on that. They really want to focus on that 2.5 uh, gigahertz spectrum they acquired from Sprint, and they're focusing heavily on mid-band. Uh, Verizon seems to, now that they've acquired the CBRS spectrum uh, from the auction, seems to also be taking that approach. And then AT&T uh, seems like they've also been doing a similar thing. Mm -hmm. So... Why, if, if the carriers know that they need millimeter sites, they need to densify, why aren't they doing it? Uh, because it's really expensive to build out the United States 200 yards at a time, right? Um, when with a uh, with a 2.5 or, or C-band site, you can cover two miles, right? And the speeds unless you go for fixed wireless home internet replacements are more than in enough, right? Because what's the customer going to do? Watch a video on 4K, right? The, the picture isn't that much better. The movie doesn't end earlier and the, the happy end is not happening, happening either, right? So um, you're trying to improve, but uh, we will not build out the United States in millimeter wave uh, any any time. Well, even if we just focused on the urban markets, right? Take Pittsburgh, for example, right? Mm -hmm. I, I haven't seen a single millimeter wave site come to my city of mm -hmm. Pittsburgh. And that's okay. a pretty urban city, right? I mean, it's not the biggest in the world, but still. Okay. Um, and I know that there's fiber sprawled all across the city, especially especially um, down by Carnegie Mellon and the college, right? Mm -hmm. So the fiber's already ran. It's just a matter of getting the permits and saying, here we go, on the light bulb it goes. Um, and it's something that if we're talking about the future, because you said before, like the carriers had to invest anyway in 5G earlier on when I was talking about growth. You said, well, they mm -hmm. knew they had to invest anyway. Well, millimeter, millimeter wave in small cells is an investment they're going to have to do sooner or later, especially when we start talking about the future of 6G, I'm sure, a decade yeah. from now. So why are they kind of sticking their heels in the ground, so to speak? Because it's really, really expensive, and the range is really short, and it doesn't penetrate walls, right? Um, I love one of the Verizon examples uh, that shows a customer on their porch 
in Minneapolis and shows like their phone with, you know, two gigabits per second in summer. You know why they're on the porch? Because they can't, get, they can't inside. get inside. Yeah. Exactly. I want to see the commercial, same commercial in winter. <laughs> but right? with, with and, problem. And the same thing in a business environment. If you want to have gigabit bit speed with millimeter wave, you have to hang out with the smokers <laughs> because you're not getting inside. So when you see eight, um, Verizon making deals with various companies to do this indoors, the reason is because the damn thing doesn't go through walls, right? That's why you need an antenna inside. That makes sense. That makes but sense. With, with problem, one of my favorite sayings is with problem comes opportunity. Mm-hmm. So the pessimist would look at that and be like, well, fil- my, a millimeter wave is useless. Yeah. But the opportunist would look at, okay, here's the, here's the problem. It has poor propagation. How do I solve this? And we're seeing Verizon in certain markets where they do have millimeter wave sites uh, give consumers essentially a repeater, basically, mm-hmm. to get the signal inside the house. And $200 I, later. <laughs> and, um, and I'm sure there's going to be other um, things in play. Like, for example, um, the people that talk about, like, set the standards for, like, 6G and stuff, they're talking about having devices actually talk to themselves to actually repeat connections mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So there's stuff that's on the horizon. But before any of that can happen, it still doesn't change the fact that the core infrastructure needs to be put there. And it's just, it's just interesting that no one's getting it done, especially when we talk about how they, well, they need to differentiate themselves. You know, the laws of physics don't change because you don't like them, right? Uh, If you jump out of the window, no matter how much you don't want to fall to the ground, you will. And the same thing with uh, electromagnetic spectrum. Uh, Depending on the material, the stuff doesn't go through walls, simply because the electromagnetic waves get blocked by atoms, right? And especially if you have like foil on the windows, like in office buildings, that thing is like solid, right? Yeah. yeah. You get more through um, a drywall than you get through these um, uh, coded windows. And they're not gonna tear down the building uh, you know, 60 It'll building tower Come on, or change the windows so that we get 5G. So they're working all of that. So, and then the problem is, you know, we all change carriers, right? So are you willing to have three carrier pucks in your room, right? So that you can, in building, that, by the way, that puck still has to go, go through the wall. So one of the problems that like companies like Starry have, you know, with millimeter, with um, with midband internet, is to get through the walls. How do you get through the wall? How do you break the wall? How do you break the window? Literally, that's the problem. Because the degradation is so much when you go through walls. Yeah. In lower spectrum, it's about 15 dB. dB. That, that happens when you go through a wall. And so one of the things we might see, and there's a lot of talk in commercial real estate, that wireless becomes the, what is it? Fifth utility, utility. water, gas, heat, cooling, right? And then, and that. Uh, will your residential building do the same thing, right? That, that would be the ideal solution. And then you have a DAS everywhere. I think it will be a while t- until we see this in apartment buildings. We see it first in office buildings. And then the question is always, who will pay for it? right? So I hear you, but, but there are really big physical problems attached to it. And then it turns into money. right? Yeah, it, it sounds like it's just a, a matter of investment. Like if you have $18,000 to build a one millimeter wave site, 
it sounds like the carriers right now get more ROI putting it towards building out and developing their mid-band spectrum or or yeah. other sites like that. Way bigger buck. It's just the... Um, I know you have a question that says it. I just want to just retort one quick thing. The problem is is that you can only buy so many macro sites, right? Like, like in cities like Pittsburgh, they're not going to let you slap down a macro cell in the most optimal place to get coverage covering the most optimal part of the, of the cell. So either you, you have one or two options at that point. You either put down micro cells, even if it's not millimeter wave, like you got to put down something to densify or you just have a coverage gap and the carrier that decides to do it, which in my market who has the best cards right now is AT&T, then they're the clear choice for everybody here yeah. and you have no options. But I've also been expert witness for all the wireless carriers to build cell sites. And the municipalities are fighting it tooth and nail, right? Right. Um, I testified in federal court um, the city T-Mobile against the city of Huntington Beach in California went to federal court. Uh, T-Mobile wanted to raise the church steeple by three feet. I remember that story. Right? Yeah. And the city of Huntington Beach didn't let them because it made an impact on the neighborhood. What? <laughs> You have a you have a thirty foot high tower, and making it three foot high makes it different. <laughs> no, right? Right. And so they sued. We won because I told to the to to the judge that basically the city of Huntington Beach says in building wireless is irrelevant, and if you slip in your shower, it's reasonable to crawl out to the driveway to call 911. <laughs> it's, it's insane. But uh, the in-building solution for most of Americans is Wi-Fi. Yeah, that's, that's why serious. they have Wi-Fi calling. Uh, broadband speeds are getting better, right? Uh, we're getting Wi-Fi 6. Right, yeah, and that has a gigabyte, a, a gigahertz of spectrum. So with with Wi-Fi six, you will get five G speeds, thanks to awesome. your cable connection or your fiber internet. That would be awesome, Roger. We have a question from the audience here from Austin. He's asking, how do you feel about T-Mobile rolling out five G to government enterprise? Um, with their recent initiative, I'm curious what new tech or new capabilities is being introduced to support that. They are basically selling to the government and enterprises the same thing that they sell to consumers. And T-Mobile traditionally hasn't sold to that. They have like 1% market share. Sure. Uh, Big customers of the government wireless were typically AT&T and, and, and Verizon. And they're simply going to the government and enterprise users say, we have this awesome brand new uh, 5G network for less. Want to have more? Right? <laughs> yeah. And consumers say, uh, and businesses and, and, and enterprises like, yeah. And on top of it, they're saying, if you're traveling internationally, I have this free data roaming, very basic, all of that stuff, free text messaging. Why didn't you do that? Because the other carriers are still charging premium pricing for that. And it drives people up the tree, right? Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. I mean, those prices are huge. It's like another $70 on top of the 70 or $80 you're paying. It's, yeah. it's really expensive um, for business. It doesn't matter. Sure. But it, it, it hurts you emotionally. Right. Right. Um, so I guess kind of, maybe we could end off on maybe your take on home internet, you know, T-Mobile kind of teased their event coming up on April 7th. Uh, if you need a hint and you know, home internet seems to be implied with that hint, um, kind of, I guess, what's your take on the current landscape of home internet offerings and, and where do you see those going? I think it will be a really awesome solution as long as they're not successful. 
that those sound backwards to me, Roger. Would you care to elaborate a little bit? <laughs> well, wireless is a shared resource, right? Yes, yes. And the more successful they are with selling broadband to the home wirelessly, the smaller the slice you get. Ah, right. So, so they need it to to basically target a niche niche audience so that their network can remain open for the rest of the wireless consumers. Yeah. So they will be very targeted of where they can buy and what you can buy. And they have to match the, the demand with how much they can build out. So Roger... Because the worst thing that happens is, oh, you can have these speeds. Then a thousand people sign up. And the speeds goes down. They exactly. So, so Roger, you're telling me that so that's uh, the challenge, right? Yeah. So, so, Roger, you're telling me that. But I'm um, looking forward to it. Right. But it it makes a lot of sense for them in rural and suburban markets. In urban markets, high population density. I don't think they will sell their um their home internet that makes sense that makes sense um so, so roger you're telling me that um cell phones providers aren't going to be able to necessarily replace proper home internet for rural americans do you think that won't be a likely outcome sorry were you were you able to hear that roger no i wasn't oh interesting let me see Dennis uh, went black for me. I, I see the name, but nothing else. Let me I am try. Can you he hear me now, now, Roger? Can you hear me? Nope. Well, <laughs> maybe maybe we'll just call it there then. Um, Sorry. But Roger, we want to give you a tremendous thank you for taking your time to, to chat with us about these, you know, these different network strategies, where you see them going in the future. I know you've done huge analysis and deep dives on these carriers with your company, Recon Analytics. So if anyone in the audience is interested in learning more about some of the bleeding wireless te technology, you can check out Recon Analytics linked in the show notes and the video description. Roger's authored many of the excellent papers there. Um, with information that sometimes goes over my head, but um, we really, really appreciate it. Um, anything you want to let the audience know? I mean, you have your podcast um, that's also weekly. Yeah, any, anything you want to leave the audience with? Yeah, we have a weekly podcast called um, theweekwithroger.com. Uh, you can see some of the things that I publicize on Fierce Wireless. And I really, really appreciate uh, being on the show. And thank you very much. And it was a blast being here. Excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you, Well, Roger. thank you again, Roger. Uh, thank you. And we appreciate having you on. Thanks, Stetson. Thanks, Dennis. Bye-bye. Take care.